Didn't the worship team do so well today? Yeah. We're so blessed with so many talented people in this church and uh, so grateful for you, Nathaniel, and all that you've done to serve the church. You've only been here for a month, and I feel like you do more than I do, and that's not good. Um, I need to step up my game. If you don't know who I am, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Life Church, and we're so glad you're joining us for our Mother's Day service. Uh, we, once again, we just want to say again, Happy Mother's Day. And so if you haven't planned to call your mom yet, you probably should, or send her a text at least, buy her some flowers this week, something. But we, we, as we celebrate, we also recognize that there is some disconnect. Because we live in a fallen world that is not perfect, um, some of us, are, are, this isn't a day of celebration, but of, of mourning. And we, we recognize that some are, are, are facing loss. Some are facing the loss of things they wish would have been. Some are facing the loss of, uh, of, of a person. Some people are facing all kinds of things. And so we recognize that. I just want to let you know this morning on Mother's Day that God sees you. He loves you, and he has not forgotten you, and he has not given up on you. So whatever you're going through, whether you're celebrating or mourning, God is with you this morning, and it's based on that promise that we know that he is going to make all things new, that we can endure and face anything in this life, right? Amen? Amen. Let's pray as we get started. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you see us, God, in the midst of everything, that in, in the good times you're there, in the, in the hard times you're there, you never leave nor forsake us. Lord, this morning as we enter the scriptures, as we hear from what you've said, God, would we respond in faith and submission uh, to, to who you're calling us to be, God? That, that you're a good God who only wants good things for your people. And so when you call us into something, uh, God, you, you, you give us the strength to do it by your spirit. This morning, Lord, as we look at what it means and why we read the Bible, um, would you help us to understand it better? Would you help us to walk away more in love with you, more aware of your greatness and goodness and your faithfulness? And, and Lord, will we be more faithful to Jesus as we do? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Why do we read the Bible? Let me explain. When I was a freshman, going into being a freshman in college, I was a little late. And late is a, a subjective term. I was 21, so I wasn't that late. But all of my friends were seniors in college. And so all of my friends, I, I saw them getting ready for graduation and jobs, and I was like, okay, I'm going into school, I'm going in late, but I'm going to make the most of it. Like, I'm going like, to make the most of it. And so I made friends with a bunch of 18-year-olds, and I felt really old all the time. And I was only 21, I don't know. Maybe I'm an old soul. Anyways, that's beside the point. But when I got to college, I was so excited because I was studying theology. And theology is just a study of God, but I was excited because I wanted to go into ministry. And I was like, this is finally the opportunity. I didn't really care for school before then, because I don't know about you, but I don't really care to study things that don't really interest me. But, but I was like, I'm excited about ministry. I'm excited about theology. This is going to be great. And so I went in with the best of intentions. And so I made a bunch of friends, a lot of 18-year-olds, some people my age, but, but, but I just tried to make the most of it. And one of my very first classes that I took was called Biblical Interpretation which is the fancy title for reading the Bible well. And, and as someone who, had, you know, I was the youth group all-star, like I knew all the Bible answers, I memorized the verses, like I showed up every week, I, I helped set up and tear down. I was the youth group all-star. I was like, this is going to be easy. And I was wrong. Uh, to prove how wrong I was, one of my most memorable moments in that class was actually in the first couple of weeks. The, the professor was talking about what does it mean for the Bible to be inspired? And a student, a friend who I'd made over the past couple of days, he, he, he raised his hand and he goes, Professor, I, I have this question. Why is the Bible more inspired than anything written by other Christian authors? Like, isn't the same spirit today moving that was moving back then? Why do we even need the Bible? 
And I had, I had never even considered that question before. He, he was essentially saying, why read the Bible? Why is it that other books written by Christians today do not have the same authority on our beliefs and practices as the Bible does? But for someone who, who may not be following Jesus, the question may be even broader. Why even read the Bible? Not, not where does God speak, but has God even spoken? Does God even exist? How can it be that a book that was written over 2,000 years ago, written by people in a different culture and time, how can that have any impact on today? What can a book written so long ago by people who don't know all that we do, what can it add to our lives? Well, today I hope you'll let me explain. I keep saying that, so get used to it. Let me explain why Christians read the Bible and why we read it the way we do here at Community Life Church. This is the second sermon in the series called Let Me Explain, where we're looking at a number of topics that, that maybe you, you've thought about, maybe you already have the answers. That's okay. It's good to be reminded of the truth. But for some of us, these are questions like, well, why do Christians do these things? Remember last week, Pastor David said that 95% of the people who live in the greater LA area do not attend church regularly, which means they have no clue why we do what we do. Even though it's normal for us, it's not normal for most of the world. And so Pastor David started off the series with a bang last week by, by looking at why we gather. Why do we even come to church? So before we even look at why we do what we do, why are we even here? And so he, he helped us to see that we come weekly to church because God tells us to. And because it's necessary. We have a gift to give to those around us. That each of us have been equipped by God, by his spirit, with something to bring and give. And that we as the body need each of us to participate in order to be who God has called us to be. And so if you missed it last week, I would encourage you, go back and listen, catch up. But coming back to our topic today, why do we read the Bible? To answer this question, I think we must first ask, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? To, to some of you, this may be a silly question. Of course we know what the Bible is. Jeff, what are you even doing? I'll get there. But, but, but to be honest, do we even know? Like not, oh yeah, my faith is in this. Yeah, I, I read about Jesus. But that's not all that the Bible is, Right? What is the Bible? The Bible is one of a kind. It's, it's not really even a book. It's a, it's a library of books. It's 66 books put together in one library. And each of these books was written in either Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek. And these books were written by over 40 authors over three different continents. And, and if you just look at it for the first time, not even knowing where to go, it can be a bit overwhelming. Because each of these books has different emphases, right? We believe as a church, we believe that Jesus is the main emphasis of the book, right? The, the whole story points to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. He, he's the one who's going to come again and save us from, from this world and, and restore the world into the way it was made to be. But even in the midst of that grander narrative, there are a bunch of little narratives. Where do I start? If I start in Genesis, I may get lost by Leviticus. If I start in Matthew, I don't even know half the backstory. So where do we start, right? What is the Bible? It's no wonder that when I first started reading the Bible, I had a couple of misconceptions. I had a couple of misunderstandings. When I first started going to church, I knew I was supposed to read the Bible regularly, and so I did. But I thought that the Bible was a rule book, and that it was a proof text. I thought it was a rule book and a proof text. I, I thought the Bible was a rule book, that after you follow Jesus, and you're saved by his grace, now you just do a bunch of things, right? Just, okay, I, I, Jesus saved me from my, from my sins. Okay, cool. Now I'm supposed to do this, do this, don't do this, right? Don't murder. Okay, cool. Easy. Um, that was a joke. I'm sorry, guys. Um, but but the, the reality is I thought that God wanted me to be a moral person. 
And there's nothing wrong with being moral. But, but the problem is that if you read the Bible just as a rule book, you flatten out the narrative. You miss the whole point. God doesn't just want us to be good because we'll never be good enough. The Bible is not about rules to be followed. It's about a person to be followed, and that person is Jesus. If we go to the Bible to be moral, we will have missed the moral of the story. The point of the story is to point us to Jesus. The point of the story is to point us to Jesus. John Calvin, who was a Christian pastor and thinker in the 1500s, he said it this way. The scriptures should be read with the aim of finding Christ in them. Whoever turns aside from this object, even though he wears himself out in all his life of learning, he will never reach the knowledge of the truth. Essentially, John Calvin is saying, if you read the Bible for any other reason than to try and find Jesus, you're going to end up missing the point. The Bible's not a rule book, but it's also not a proof text. I don't know about you guys, there's this thing, it's kind of obscure, it's called Facebook. See, I try a lot of jokes, so I'm just going to keep throwing them out there, guys. I'm sorry. But, but Facebook, I remember when it came out the very first time, I found out very quickly that Facebook has three good purposes. Ready for this? The first one was it was made to, to share photos of food to make everyone hungry. It was made so you can look at my In-N-Out, my In-N-Out burger and go, man, I wish I had an In-N-Out burger. But I don't want to wait four hours in line. Um, to share memes and jokes. And it's, it's made to argue with strangers on the internet. And even though I'm a shy person by nature, I was arguing all day. I was, I was going back and forth with people who have no clue if I existed. And I'm not even sure they existed sometimes. But I would argue with the Bible and I'd use it as a proof text. I would use it to prove what I already believed. Because if I thought, you know, Jesus saved me. He's, ch- he's changed my thinking. So therefore, everything I think must be right. And I'm just going to use the Bible to prove my point. But the reality is that the Bible is a poor, it's a poor tool for argument. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things that we disagree about with, with the world, right, in general. But it's not meant to be made to argue. It's a written record of God's acts and speech in history. And not only did I not win anyone over with this tactic of jerks for Jesus evangelism, <laughs> but I also wasn't reading it correctly. I was missing the point. The Bible may say that it is the sword of the Lord, But that sword isn't supposed to be turned towards others, but ourselves. That the best use of the Bible as a weapon is to fight our sins and struggles, not judge others. If we're using the sword against others, we're misusing it. The Bible is not a weapon for judgment. It's a weapon for holiness. It's to cut out the things in us that, that push us away from Jesus. So if the Bible isn't about rules and it's not about winning arguments, what is it for? Well, I'm glad you asked. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this. It's our opening text again. It says this in verse 10. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much my persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, all, if you have a Bible and you want to underline it, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. 
It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare every, sorry, to prepare and equip his people for, to do every good work. Paul, he, just to give you some background on what's going on, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. That's why it's titled Timothy. And, and Paul, this is one of his last letters he wrote. And if you don't know who Paul is, he was a missionary in the first century, taking the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection into the greater area. Because Peter was called to the Jews, Paul was called to everyone who wasn't a Jew, the Gentiles. And this, again, was Paul's last letter he wrote before being killed for his faith. And so in this letter, he writes to Timothy. Timothy is his protege. Timothy is this young pastor that Paul had trained up with him and taken him on a couple of missionary trips. And this, this is Paul's last letter to Timothy to tell him, this is what's important. Paul is saying, if you want to remember anything, if you need to remember anything, it's these things. And one of those things is what the Bible is. From Paul's words, we see that the scriptures are able to make one wise for salvation. They are inspired by God's Holy Spirit. They teach us the truth, and they show us where we are wrong in our living. See how similar this is to Peter, another Christian missionary and pastor in the first century. It says this in 2 Peter 1. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Amen. The Bible to Peter, we have to understand this. The New Testament as we have it with all the stories about Jesus did not exist as they are in the first century. They weren't assembled yet. And so all they had to go off of was what we call the Old Testament. And, and, and so Peter says that all the, these scriptures are true because of his experience with Jesus. He, he knows that he has greater confidence in the word spoken because of his encounter with the risen Christ. So why do we read the Bible? We read the Bible for three simple reasons. We read the Bible to know what God is like in Jesus, to know the truth about what he has said and done, and to live faithfully in response. Just to say it again so you can write it down. We read the Bible. Why do we read the Bible? Let me explain. To know what God is like to know the truth, and to know how to live. A simple way to remember this is as succinctly as possible. This is my main idea. We believe that the Bible is the final authority on all matters of faith and conduct. We believe the, the Bible is the final authority on all matters of faith and conduct. Why do we say final authority? Yes, the Spirit moves still. The Spirit is still speaking. He's still moving in us. Now, there's debate over what that looks like, but there's no debate that He is still God and still active. So he's the final authority. There are other authorities. There's church tradition, but all other authorities are tested by the scriptures. Why? Because the scriptures are the only sure thing we know that the Spirit has spoken. The scriptures are not just human imagination, right? God moved them to write it down. So we test everything by the scriptures. It's the final authority. It's the final authority on all matters of faith, right? What we believe about what God is like and what he's done, what he said, and also the final authority on conduct, how we live in response to what Jesus has done. So Christians, read the Bible. We read the Bible to know what God is like.
Look with me again at 2 Peter 1. It says this. For we were not making up clever stories. Another translation says fables. When we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we saw, so Peter says, we saw this with our own eyes. When, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. Why do we pay attention to what they wrote in the Old Testament? For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ of the morning star shines in your hearts. Peter says that the purpose of the Old Testament is Jesus, to see what Jesus is like. Peter's saying that all the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. That's what's going on. And he's also saying that the New Testament was not cleverly developed fables. He's saying that we didn't make these things up. We didn't just think of them. They're not just a religious encouragement towards being good people. Again, it's not rules but it's an invitation to know Jesus. That Jesus is the dearly loved Son of God. And so all of this is connecting because the Bible is the collection of stories of God revealing himself to us. We read the whole Bible knowing that even when the Old Testament books were written in their context to their audience, the Holy Spirit had a secondary goal beyond that, which is for us. It's, and it points us to see what God is like in Jesus. The Old Testament, New Testament, are, they're not written to us. Have you ever thought about that? Like, you, it doesn't say to Jeff in any of the books. It doesn't say second Jeff, third Jeff. I'm, you're glad for that. But it, but it wasn't written to us, but it was written for us, right? Like, I was never the original audience, and yet the Spirit uses it to apply it to my life and your life today. So the Bible is for us, even if it isn't to us. But like Pastor David talked about a couple weeks ago, this isn't just for head knowledge, as if knowing God was memorizing a bunch of facts about him. The first and primary goal of Bible reading is not information, but intimacy. The first goal of Bible reading is not information, but intimacy. Yes, it's important to know things about someone. If you love someone, you should probably know what their favorite food is, right? If you love someone, you should know whether they're allergic to sushi before you go and eat sushi. Like, you, it's important to know facts about people, but that's not the goal. The, the facts get you to the goal, which is the knowledge of the person. We don't read the Bible to only know about God, but to know God personally. Information helps us to get there, but it should never stop there. So we read the Bible, both Old and New Testament, to know what God is like. But we also read it to know the truth of what he has said and done. It says this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Paul again affirms what, what Peter said, that, that, that the Bible shows what God has already done. That the prophets wrote the truth of what God has said and not merely human opinion, that they record what actually happened. Now, now, there is some lack of clarity between how human the Bible is and how, how God divine the Bible is. And let me explain for a second. We believe, as a church, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And Jesus is the Word of God. So it should not surprise us that the written Word of God, as revealed in the Scriptures, also contains human and divine elements. Now, I'm not, I don't have the time to unpack all that today, and some of you don't care. So let me get to what you do care about. The reality is, is that we believe that the Bible, even if it, isn't say, it doesn't say everything we want to know about that aspect, it does say enough to know what God has done. 
It says what he has said and done, and it's true. And this again goes back to our previous point, that, that what's said, it's true enough for us to understand what God is like. God has not revealed everything about who he is in the scriptures, because if God could be fully understood, he wouldn't cease to be God, right? If we could fully understand him, then he's not really God. And yet, even though we can't know him fully, we can know him truly, right? That everything we do know about him is true, even if it isn't everything there is to know. And, and so we, we see in the Bible God's acts and promises in the past. And what's the purpose of that? Well, we, do, we, we read these things to see what God is like, but also to see how we're supposed to live in response. Because if, if God was faithful in the past to keep all of his promises, if he was faithful in the past to keep all that he said he would do, if he was faithful to deliver those who are in, going through suffering and pain, if he was faithful in the past, then we know he'll be faithful in the future. When we look at the past record of God, we can trust the future promises of God. When we look at the past record of God, we can trust the future promises of God. In leadership, it's said like this, the best indicator of future performance is past performance. So, so if you look back at someone, you're hiring someone, okay, what did they do in the past? Okay, now I have a good idea what they're going to go in the future. If God was perfectly faithful in the past, is he going to fail you now? Is he going to let you down now? No, that's not who God is. And that's what the Bible teaches us, is what God is like. It tells us the truth of what he said and done and how he always comes through. And this is such an important reality because we are so tempted in the midst of our pain and our suffering, which is so real, God doesn't not care about our pain and suffering. It's not that he neglects it or doesn't see it. Even in the midst of that, it's, we're so tempted to believe the lie that God is incapable or unloving enough to step in where we're at. But the Bible reminds us of the truth that God has come through in the past and he will be with you in the present and he will, he will deliver you in the future. So the Bible, we read the Bible to know what God is like as revealed in Jesus, to know the truth of what he's said and done, and to know how to live faithfully in response. Look again at verse 16 in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. It says this, It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Paul says that the Bible corrects our actions and it prepares us for good works. But Jeff, I just thought you said it's not about rules. Isn't that rules? No, no, it's not. The difference is, is that rules only care about the outcome. Relationship cares about the relationship. It's like this, Jesus doesn't just tell us this is what you're supposed to do. He says, do what I've done. He doesn't say, hey, you're supposed to do that. He says, follow me. Jesus doesn't just tell us what kind of people God wants us to be. He shows us how to be it, and he gives us his spirit to do it. Again, the Bible's not a list of rules to follow, but it points us to following Jesus. And when we follow Jesus as king over everything, it means we must su submit to his leadership in everything. This is less about keeping rules and more about being faithful to our good king. And, and in, in the Bible, it shows us actions and stories of God's people in the past, right? So because it's not just a list of rules, but instead it, it shares stories of what God has done in the past and his people and how they've been obedient and disobedient in the past, it gives us examples to follow. Paul talks about this in Corinthians, that, that we should not follow some examples, and we should follow different examples. The book of Hebrews talks about that a lot. But the difficulty is sometimes it doesn't transfer one-to-one. -one. 2,000 years of history have changed the culture that we exist in versus the one that existed in the Bible. And so we, have, we sometimes need wisdom on how to interpret that, right? I'm not wearing a head covering. People are not wearing head coverings necessarily in church anymore. 
Why? Well, because culturally it's different. It had a different significance. So we don't do everything it necessarily commands because sometimes it's cultural, right? So we need wisdom on how to read it. And so it's best to read the Bible, not just by yourself, but also in community. Because as we read the Bible in community, it shapes us into the people who are able to follow Jesus faithfully, even if not perfectly. Because as we read it in community, we'll never get it perfect. But we can be faithful in our interpretation by reading it together, by you seeing the blind spots that I have. Because even though we're all in similar culture here in La Crescenta, all of us have different backgrounds and experiences. All of us have different preferences and opinions. All of us have different, different thought processes. And so what that means is, is that there are things I can't see that you can. And to be honest, there are some things you can't see that I can. My height gives me an advantage. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but, but we need the different perspectives. We all contribute something. This is part of what Pastor David was talking about last week. We all have a gift to give. Sometimes that's our perspective. So why do we read the Bible? Let me explain. We read it to know what God is like. We read it to know the truth of what he has done, and we read it to know how to live faithfully in response to it. This is why Christians read the Bible in general. But lots of churches read the Bible, right? I think so. But they do it differently. So why do we do it the way that we do it here at Community Life Church? And so I just want to take a couple moments to explain some things we do uniquely. And those are why we read the New Living Translation, why we read it in large sections every single Sunday, and why we read it with an emphasis on the author's intent. So some of you may notice that we read the New Living Translation, and some of you have never heard of that before you came here. That's okay. It's a little bit of a more modern translation. Uh, it doesn't sacrifice the meaning of the text, but it emphasizes the understandability of the text. And what do I mean by that? Well, when the King James Version, which is a very popular translation, when it was originally written, the purpose, I don't know if you know this, the purpose of why it was written was so that the everyday person could understand the Bible. I don't know if you knew that. They, because at that time period, the Latin Vulgate was the only translation that was available. A and so the only people who could read it were people who knew Latin. And there were a lot less people that read Latin than you may have think. I don't know if you thought about that. Anyways, but, but the point is, is that the King James Version originally was supposed to be the everyman's translation. And somehow we got it confused a couple hundred years later that we think it's the only translation. But the purpose of it is the same purpose that we have in, in LT, is understandability. The main goal of language is communication, which is why we don't require anyone to read the Bible in Greek or Hebrew, right? Because God wants you to know him. God wants you to know what he is like. And it's better to be able to know what God's like when you can read the words he's putting in front of us. So we, we, we want a translation like the NLT to be in your hands weekly so you can understand what it says. And the NLT, it's a nice middle ground between a word-for-word a word and a thought-for-thought. Thought. What does that mean? Well, when you translate, I don't, some of you guys speak multiple languages, so forgive me, I'm just a novice in this. But when you translate something, sometimes there's no word that's an equal opposite for that in the other language. So in Greek, there's one word, but in English, there's 12. And so which word do you pick, right? And so sometimes translations that are word-for-word word can limit the range of meaning, making it less clear than it intends to be even if they're very literal. That's okay. We need multiple translations. Some of them are thought for thought where they do a lot of the interpretation for you. And so that you don't really get the option of seeing what did the author possibly mean, but what this particular translator thinks they mean. And so the NLT is somewhere in the middle that kind of gives you some, some range of meaning, but also the ability to understand for yourself. 
And, and, and just for anyone who may be wondering, the pastures, as much as possible, we use the original language. We go back into the Greek and Hebrew as much as possible and use a translation, translation like the ESV for study just to make sure we're not going off on any tangents. So, yeah, I think it's pretty great. Um, so that's why we use the NLT. Why do we read large sections of Scripture? Why do we have people read 11 verses in a row every Sunday? What, what, what's it, what's, well, the reason is because we don't want to proof text our arguments. We don't want to be 18-year-old Jeff on Facebook who takes one verse and puts it out of context somewhere else. That's not what we want to do. And there are ways of being faithful by going verse by verse. That's not what I'm saying. You can do that contextually, but it takes a different amount of time. We have emphasized going through larger sections of Scripture to put more of the Bible in front of you because we want to get the full meaning of the text. There are many ways to skin a cat, no offense to cats, but, but there are many ways of doing it correctly. We, we, we believe that the way we do it is most helpful for our community. If you have any questions about this, I'd love to talk to you about it. But also, and more importantly perhaps, we believe that the Scriptures being put in front of people week after week is doing something. We believe that when we read the Bible in front of you, that God's Spirit is moving in you, whether you know it or not, that God's Spirit is planting seeds, that even if I didn't preach or say anything or explain anything, just reading the Bible would be something happening with God's Spirit. And because we believe that, we believe the Bible is not a static or dead revelation that, me that merely records facts and statements, but rather the Bible is living and active, we believe it's important to put the Bible in front of you as much as possible. Because the Bible was inspired by the Spirit when it was written down, but it was also inspired in, in us when we read it. It actually moves us as well. The, the Bible is not dead or static. It's living and active. And we don't read the Bible just to merely know what it says again, but to know and be changed by the God of the text. And finally, we read the Bible with the goal of understanding the author's intent. What does that mean? Well, there are ways of reading the Bible where you just read it from what you hear, where you just say, okay, it says this well, that sounds like this to me, which is, it's, it's fine to do that for a time, but, but the goal of getting deeper into the scriptures is knowing what the author meant, not just what you read. So when you, when you hear something, you have to remember what they meant and not just what you hear. What does that look like? Well, if, if I told you that I'm very tall, you're like, okay, that's great. But if I walk around in a bunch of like NBA players, I'm not that tall, right? Context would determine whether or not what that statement means. And that's what we mean when we want to understand author's intent. We have to go back into the context. We have to understand the time period. Each week when we go into the scriptures, we'll, we'll go, hey, this is what was going on in that time. This is who the author is. This is what the audience was doing. It's because it's important to understand the context in order to understand the meaning. This all matters. But it also matters that we understand genre, right? There's a difference between a poem and a history book. There's a difference between satire and a narrative. And so the Bible contains a lot of different genres. And if you read Paul's letters, like you read Psalms, you're going to be confused. There's different genres there. A song is not the same way of communicating truth as a letter. They're both true, but they're communicating it differently. It's important to understand. And so we, we emphasize and care about the author's intent. And, and so that's why we do it the way we do it here. Thank you for letting me explain. But so what? So what? So what, Jeff? This is all great. It's all helpful. You've talked to me for 30 minutes. What's going on? Just to recap, we read the Bible to know what God is like. We read it to know the truth of what he said and done and to live faithfully in response. The way we do that here is through reading a modern translation, reading it in large portions, and reading it in light of the author's intentions. Ultimately, the main takeaway is that we believe that God has spoken. 
That's a statement. That's a, that's a statement of belief. We believe that God isn't removed from human history. He actually cares about what's going on, and he's moved and acted and spoken to us, and that he's revealed himself through the scriptures, and most clearly through his son. That God is not distant or deistic, that he just sets the world in motion, leave it alone. No, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible wants you to know him. And he's made everything possible through, through sending his, his son to die for us and raise from the grave to sending his spirit to be with us even now. When we read the Bible, we're, we're interacting with God. That God is literally speaking to us in a sense. And so God's spirit moves in us. But all this matters because God loves you. It's one thing to hear that. It's another thing to see how he has acted in human history to make you know that right? It's, if God loved us but didn't have any ability to reveal himself to us, it wouldn't make a difference in our lives. But God does love us, and he has spoken, and he has revealed himself, and he has done everything possible for you to know him. And he's, he's using the scriptures to do that. I can't overstate the importance of the Bible in my own life. Uh, some of you heard this story before, but it bears mention repeating. When I was 12 years old, my uh, dad had to go on strike. He worked for Safeco, well, Vons, which works for Safeco. And so he couldn't cross the picket line because if he did, he would lose his job when it was over. And so he went from making enough money for eight people to eat to we were barely getting by. Um, there, there were months when we didn't have electricity. There was, there was time when we didn't have heat or running water. Sometimes we, we, we couldn't use the bathroom, so we had to drive down the hill to a gas station to take turns using the restroom. And I was 12 years old, and I'm going through this, and I was like, this, if this is what life is. I don't want it. I was really going through it, and I was like, this is horrible. This is awful. And, but my dad had peace. It's like, how, how can you have peace in this? Like, I was miserable. I'm 12 years old. I don't understand any, really anything that's going on. I just know I'm miserable. And so I said, Dad, how do you have peace in this? He says, son, I want you to read the Bible. And so he handed me a Bible. It was a King James Version. And I read the, the gospel according to Matthew. And in that story, I heard about who Jesus is. I, I read the story about Jesus coming, and he, he does these miracles, and he heals people, and he raises even the dead to life, and, and he does all these wonderful teachings, and then they kill him. But then good news, he comes back at the end, right? But I was like, okay, what does that have to do with me? And so he said, read the book of Romans. And so as I was reading through the book of Romans, I, I saw that, that it says that the wages of sin is death. Or sorry, the, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm 12. Have I, have I really done anything that awful that the, the cost is death? But, but what I quickly understood as I asked my dad some questions is it, it was talking about spiritual death, that, that any act of disobedience towards God was actually in rebellion against him that because of the fall that we all walk in opposition to God. We don't just do our own thing. We're actually walking away from God. And because of that sin, we're, we're, the penalty, the cost, is eternal separation from God. But the verse goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. For all, for all have sinned, yes. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that as I read the scriptures, as I was reading the Bible, 12 years old, I had not stepped foot in the church since I was like two. I had no interaction with the church. I was just reading the Bible. And as I was reading the Bible, God's spirit spoke to me. He realized, Jeff, you're the sinner that I died for. Jeff, you're the person that I died for. Jeff, I want you to know me. I had no concept of church. I had no concept of what the Bible was supposed to be. I just knew that God was speaking to me as I read the scriptures. 
There was no one to explain necessarily all that was going on. But God spoke through Scripture. The Bible wasn't written to me, but it was written for me. In that moment, I realized what Jesus had done. I realized that Jesus had died for me, that Jesus made it possible to have life with him, eternal life starting now. And I didn't understand all of that. I've been spending the last 20 or so years trying to figure it out. But just reading the Bible showed me enough to know what God was like and to know that he loved me and he made everything possible to reunite me with himself. And he offers the same thing to you today. He offers the same thing to you today, that Jesus loves you wherever you're at, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, and he invites you to know him because he's done everything possible through his death and his resurrection to make that relationship right again. That, that one day Jesus will make all things new and good, that he'll restore the goodness of the creation. But until that day, he's inviting us to be restored to him. So in a moment, I'm going to pray to close our time together. I, I appreciate you listening. And I ask that your, your heads would be bowed. Everyone be prepared uh, to pray. I wasn't planning on this, but you know, God's spirit moves, and I don't want to quench the spirit. If this morning you have not trusted Christ, I'm not going to tell you to raise a hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But just in, in your own heart right now, God, would you just listen to if God is calling you to himself? If God is inviting you this morning to know him and to, to be saved by him, like I was 20 years ago, then would you just respond in faith? Would you, as Pastor Manny said earlier, would you say yes to Jesus as Lord over your life, trusting in all that he's done? In a moment, I'm gonna pray, and I ask that you pray with me. If, you, if you're a believer already, would you be praying for those in the room who don't know? If you've never said yes to Jesus, then, then would you just pray with me? These simple words, they're not a magic. They don't, they don't do something if you don't mean them, but if you do mean them, God will, God will rescue you. So if you, if you want to say yes to Jesus, just, just say this with me in your heart. Jesus, I realize that you've done everything possible to reconcile me to yourself. The, the scriptures bear witness by your spirit, that you love me, that you're for me, that you're making all things new, and God, you want to make me new. So God, would you change my heart? Would you rip out the heart of flesh, or stone and put in the heart of flesh? Would your spirit give me life so that I may live in your presence forevermore? Not just in heaven or in the new earth someday, but even here and now. And Father, for the rest of us, God, maybe for those of us who, who read the Bible, we're, we're used to reading the Bible. Father, we're, we're, we're used to knowing that we're supposed to read the scriptures weekly, daily. But maybe it's just become a cold routine, a ritual that we do just to check a box. God, would you remind us that the, the Bible is not dead or static? It, it doesn't just record a God who moved 2,000 years ago, but it, it's the record of your movement that moves us even today. God, for those of us who've been reading the Bible daily but don't really feel your spirit, remind us that even when we don't feel you, you're still present. God, that as we, week after week, open the scriptures, would you move in this place? Would you change this city because of what happens here? Father, we, we know that you can do it. We believe that you can do it. We just ask that you would. Father, would this church be a place that's founded on the scripture, that stands on the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done? 
And God, would that move us to be a people who live faithfully in response? Lord, we're so grateful for the fact that you, you're not far away, but you actually revealed yourself to us, that you're nearer to us than our, even our own breath. And so, Father, this morning, we're so grateful for you and for what you've said and what you've revealed through the scriptures and what you're still revealing as your spirit speaks to us. We just pray, God, that we would be a people of the scriptures that faithfully follow where you lead. We pray this in Jesus' name.